The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, government says it won't tolerate foreign nationals who attack the economy through illegal mining. The president deploys 3,300 soldiers to fight Zamazamas. We'll examine if this is the right move. A third suspect appears in court for the Palapala robbery. Professor Dire Tladi elected a judge to the International Court of Justice. We'll speak to him. And it's Friday, so sports and good things too. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today. I'm looking forward to that conversation with Professor Diret Ladi, who's been elected a judge to the International Court of Justice. Important to celebrate our successes internationally. So so really looking forward to, to that conversation and the role that South Africa has to play internationally as well. Remember, you can join the conversation 072 702 1702, 072-567-1567. A briefing today. The Justice Crime Prevention and Security Cluster holding a media briefing to give progress in combating organized crime. A focus there on the illegal mining that's taking place in the country. So at that briefing today, the Police Minister, Becky Tele, and the Defence and Military Veterans Minister, Tandi Modise, both speaking. We're going to play you audio from both of them. Uh, firstly, the Police Minister, Becky Tele, saying that government is in engaging Lesotho and Mozambique regarding illegal mining activities. Uh, And they've been speaking to the governments of both of those countries because of the concern that a lot of the mining activity is done by foreign nationals in South Africa. Have a listen to what Becky Tele had to say. They are are well armed, these people. Uh, In in Krukastorp or Klekstorp, we found them with 30 firearms 15 of them were AKs with the new sealed boxes of ammunition where we don't know where they come from and all that kind of stuff. So they do do need that krach, they do need that kind of power to pursue them wherever they are. Not only that, we're also dealing with the neighboring countries on this matter, uh, with the bilateral between the, uh, the head of states and the head of government in Lusuti, the matter was raised. So those relevant ministers are pursuing that matter, especially the minister of police, both in Lesotho and Mozambique, we are dealing with those matters. So it's not just pursue, but it's also make things that will prevent. The mines will be sealed. So that's the police minister, Becky Tele, speaking earlier. Uh, all of this playing out against the context that President Cyril Ramaphosa has authorised the deployment of 3,300 members of the SANDF, so soldiers in cooperation with the police to combat crime under Operation Prosper with uh, a focus on illegal mining. So uh, over 3,000 soldiers have now been deployed. Originally, there were 880 that were previously uh, authorised. So now we've got a big number. And is this the right decision? We knew that it was going to happen because it was adopted by cabinet in August already. So it's not unexpected, uh, but is it the right way to deal with this? Well, the defense minister, Tandi Modise, has also been speaking at this briefing, saying government will no longer tolerate foreign nationals who attack South Africa's economy through illegal mining. Have a listen. And to date, 4,006 
is seven suspects have been arrested on the various illegal mining related charges. The National in- 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 Intervention Team deployed in Pomalanga to deal with illegal mining and ESCOM energy crisis resulted in the arrest of 67 illegal miners with mining equipment worth 180 million rands and coal worth 12 million that was seized. Among the, those who were arrested also are 63 South Africans, 63 South Africans, 2,739 foreign nationals from Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Lesotho, DRC, Nigeria, Kenya, Pakistan, and Uganda. These arrests indicate the multinational nature of illegal mining. And it must clearly be stated that anyone who comes into conflicts with the laws of the Republic of South Africa shall and must be dealt with harshly within the provisions of our justice system, irrespective of whether that person is a citizen or a foreign national. We shall take no prisoners when our laws are being violated. We will not become diplomatic when our economy is being attacked through these acts. We shall take no prisoners. That's the Defence Minister, Tandi Modise. EWN reporter, Alpha Ramashwana, at that briefing for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Take us through what else was said during this briefing today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, today's media briefing, um, you know, according to my observations, was mostly focused on uh, addressing government's progress in addressing illegal mining. In fact, uh, what Defence Minister Tandi Mudisa has been saying uh, the whole of today's morning during the briefing is that, you know, it's about time government starts, you know, prioritizing its own people, starts prioritizing South Africans, because it can't be that over 2,700 people that have been arrested for, for, for illegal mining activities are foreign nationals. In fact, she's uh, listed about uh, eight countries that are all located in the southern hemisphere of of of, of uh, the African continent uh, uh, that you know uh, their citizens are, are heavily involved in South African uh, illegal mining in South Africa. She's basically saying that uh, you know it, it's time that government uh, strengthens um, its force against illegal miners who uh, are from other countries that are committing these crimes in South Africa. And she's saying that she's working closely with uh, Minister of Home Affairs Erol Mozwaledi to ensure that, uh, you know, these illegal miners, uh, who some of them are also illegal uh, immigrants, uh, are deported back to their countries. However, the problem is that there is no capacity from Home Affairs to do so. In fact, uh, she said that she's currently uh, engaging with Aaron Mutualedi to ensure that they avail several buses that will transport some of, uh, um, you know, the illegal miners that are from other countries as soon as uh, at the end of this year. So it seems like, you know, they are making progress uh, in the arrest. We've heard that they've arrested over 4,000 people. However, her main concern is that, you know, most of them are illegal uh, uh, 
foreigners. Alpha, thank you very much. Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, wrapping up that briefing for us. Let's get some analysis now on this briefing, on the president's decision to deploy the army, what it all means. David van Beek is the lead researcher at the Benchmarks Foundation. David, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. A very strong message from the police minister and the defence minister today, a focus on foreign nationals. What do you make of this? And, and is it the right tone? Is enough actually being done? Well, I think that the approach is completely wrong. Um, We've had retrenchment notices issued to thousands of mine workers in the last two weeks by Sabanya, Sariti, Anglo, um, and other mining companies. Um, These mine workers will be sent home mainly without, or many without the pensions and without the UIF funds and things like that. There's 600 million rands of pensions not being paid out every year because the process of paying out pensions is so convoluted that uh, semi-literate people can't get access to it. And so these mine mine workers get stuck in this country. This country's uh, mining wealth was built with people from Lesotho, people from Mozambique, people from Zimbabwe and neighboring countries in the first instance. So when we talk about foreign nationals, even our our formal mining companies are owned by global multinational corporations and not by South Africans. Okay, so if we want to focus economic development on South Africans, when are we going to focus mining on South Africans in the first instance? Um, The other thing is that they are not taking into consideration that mining is in a steep decline in this country at the moment. Large-scale industrial mining is all but finished. Uh, The large-scale industrial companies are now leaving this country because it's too expensive to mine the the little bit of minerals that are actually left underground. And we've made no planning for a transition to a post-mining economy, and we've not made any transition for uh, any planning for a transition to small-scale and survival mining and and medium-scale mining. Mining. You know, so mm. mines just simply get abandoned. There are 6,000 abandoned mines. There are 3,000 soldiers. So that is two mines for one soldier. Mm. Um, you know, so the, the, the figures themselves are also wrong. When we talk about the AK-47s and the new ammunition, I can tell you where they come from. They come from security companies that are involved with the syndicates. Um, I think that um, the government is not looking at the real issues. They're going for the guys that are underground, the people with the weapons and the people and are the syndicates, the people who can afford to buy lots and lots of AK-47s and ammunition and things like that. And this thing needs much deeper investigation than, 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 than what is happening at the moment. You know, so the other thing, of course, is that um, when we when we transition to um, a post-mining economy, we should look at the mining infrastructure and say, how can we repurpose this infrastructure? How can we utilize it to create jobs? How, how can we utilize it to to create a post-mining economy? And there's lots of things that you can David, do. David, I'm, I'm so interested in what you say about a, about a... Sorry to interrupt you. I'm so interested in what you say about a post-mining transition into, into a post-mining economy. Mm. Uh, what would that look like? And, and, and what does government need to do around that to ensure that these mine workers are not abandoned, that they don't um, instead turn to the illicit economy, that they rather find employment in, in the formal economy? Well, I think first and first and foremost,
foremost, we need to make sure that there's development in the Eastern Cape. It's the least developed province in our country. And then we need to assist Lesotho because Lesotho could not develop its economy because all its labor force was sitting in South African mines for the last 130 years. The same with Southern Mozambique. But the other thing is that, uh, you know, for example, the Central Void, the Western Void, the Eastern Void is filling up with water. That water is soon going to decant over the over the top because no one is pumping water out anymore that water is toxic and acidic we should put water companies on top of the of those old mines so that they can process that water and sell it for industrial use rather than uh, what we allow it to become the next problem to which we're going to react instead of being proactive uh, besides that the toxic wasteland left by these mines the mine dumps and so on can be used for solar electricity farms and things like that to generate electricity and put it back into the national grid through the existing substations that supplied the mines in the first place. Mm. You know, so there's there's a variety of things that can be done um, um, if we just been creative about it instead of reactive. Absolutely. And and I say this so often, that we need to be creative, we need to be innovative in the way that we deal with our problems in this country instead of just reacting to them. Fascinating insights there from David van Veek, lead researcher at the Benchmarks Foundation, having a look at why we are in this position with illegal mining, what needs to be done about it. So what government is now doing is deploying the army. Uh, the president has now approved that 3,300 soldiers uh, must get involved. It's a step up from the 800. 80 previously authorized under Operation Prosper. Is this the right thing to be doing? Well, Dean Wingren is a defense analyst who joins us now. Dean, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. We are sending in the army to deal with Zamazamas. Do you think this is the, the right approach? What does it say about the police and, and, and what are the consequences of this? Uh, good, good afternoon, Mandy and the listeners. Thanks very much. Um, well, I think first and foremost, it says um, something about the state of the South African police services and its ability and competency to um, fight, uh, fight crime and, uh, and the illegal mining. And granted, uh, illegal mining is a very specialized uh, operation and uh, it's not your everyday occurrence that um, you would normally find in a in a, in a normal uh, setting, but um, it's something that the police is mandated to do, and it's uh, I think it's patently obvious that they're not quite up to the task. They're under resourced, undermanned, and I think they just don't have the ability and capacity to do this. Hence, um, the president calling in the army, and uh, as you say, this does have consequences. I certainly understand the reasons and the need to call in the army. But it does place the army and the defense force as a whole in a very difficult position. Um, it was just uh, a week or so ago that um, in, in Parliament it was announced that the defense force's budget has actually been cut by uh, just over 600 million rand. And now all of a sudden, you know, the president is... Um, asking the army now to do a further unfunded mission that um, is going to cost almost an an additional 500 million rand. This has to come Mm -hmm. from somewhere, and I'm not sure that the police will be uh, refunding the Defence Force for, for this. 
uh, the South African National Defence Union, Sandu, has said that this is probably the, the best option, that the soldiers will be highly organised and appropriately trained for the threat of illegal miners. This requires intelligence and aerial capability, a communications network. Do you agree with that? Do you feel that the soldiers are receiving sufficient training for this kind of work, this kind of operation? Uh, well, a very short answer is no, I don't think so. This is very much um, a civilian-led um, mission. Uh, the Defence Force will, by its very nature, will have to be, operate under the overall command and control of the police service. And it's not something that the Defence Force actually trains in. Um, I do understand that some of these Hamas are quite heavily armed, and uh, but... Um, the Defence Force isn't trained to execute this. Um, they will be adding extra bodies and feet on the ground to support the police. Um, and it, it won't be all 3,300 soldiers that will be participating. Uh, I do believe that this will be as a maximum number of soldiers that can be authorised. But I think the actual number that will be assisting will be far less. But um, as I say, they'll be assisting the police and under the control of the police who um, have more experience in this kind of thing. Dean, thank you very much. Uh, Dean Wingren is a defence analyst uh, giving us a, a view there on whether the soldiers, whether the army should be deployed to deal with this. I wonder if there isn't a lesson to be learned from how we dealt with rhino poaching in this country and that approach uh, where the, the specialised units were trained specifically to deal with that and there was a collaboration between various arms of, of government. Uh, what do you think? How do you think we should be dealing with this issue? Send me a WhatsApp voice note 072 702 7256715567 already a lot of messages coming in saying a stupid government they let this happen by opening the borders we uh, are taking this these are all illegal immigrants who are here i know there's lots of comments like that mandy always tough talk by politicians but actions dololo what's up mandy on 0727021702 guys my opinion on the the army being dispatched or deployed let them go we're paying them anyway to do what sit at the base let them go and do some good hi mandy is that not the problem if tando modise is saying we will take no prisoners if our laws are being violated i think she should have maybe thought that one through because this is half the problem if we aren't taking any prisoners while our laws are being violated what are we doing Good day, uh, Mandy. It's uh, Norman here in Pretoria. I don't think this, uh, whatever proclamation, whatever they call it, uh, uh, Operation Prosper by President Ramaphosa will yield any results because the elephant in the room is that the issue which they want to deal with is already in the country. They should have sorted out these issues of illegal uh, immigrants at the border. And the second step, they should have spoken aggressively with the embassies to audit their citizens. And thirdly, there was that issue of the, the viral content of the music uh, uh, shooting the, that took place. And nobody. 
Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. Lots of reaction to this uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, Ganimede saying, so Tandi Mudisi, yes, the one who starved the pig, says, South Africa will no longer tolerate illegal foreign nationals. Uh, what does this mean? Were they deliberately tolerating this attack the whole time? I'm so confused. And then Jason says, not even the crack police units will go down the mines to find them, lol. Lots of reaction to this issue. It is an emotive issue, but really, I'm not sure that this tough talk from government is the remedy. I'm not sure if deploying soldiers is the remedy. As you heard from David van Beek there. Um, the fundamental problems is that all of these people are losing their jobs. So where do they go? Because there's no transition to uh, the, the post-mining economy, as he explained it. Well, let's take a, a different look on a mining-related issue now. The National Union of Mine Workers is embarking on a protest march this coming weekend. It's part of a, a rolling program of mass action directed at Sibania Stillwater and Harmony to seriously prioritize and consider the well-being and the plight of workers. Masibulele Naki is from the National Union of Mine Workers. Masibulele, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this mass action that NUM is planning. Uh, good afternoon to the viewers at home. Good, uh, good afternoon, Estudio. The National Union of Mine Workers is marching tomorrow in Carltonville region in Gauteng. We, we were mandated by our members to take this decision at the National Executive Committee after a number of fatals that happened in that province between the two mines, which is the Harmony Gold Mines and Sibani Stillwater. And, 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 and there are other issues except the fatals where we started to discuss early this year around the decision that was taken by Harmony to, to, to ban food underground, alleging that there are illegal miners who are underground, then workers who are taking food underground, they are feeding them. So we, we, we engage them that that cannot be a solution, a, a permanent solution that will affect the health of workers. But up until now, we don't find each other. So that, that, that's one of the decisions that now we are uh, protesting against because we can't allow a situation where if the mine is failing, their security to make sure that only those authorized workers are getting to their workplace, then it becomes an issue of workers then mm-hmm. that they must not take their food and then having an access to to food and 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 and, and, and the clean water underground. Right. So that's that's an issue. But we have resolved on the clean water because they are giving them a little of a two liter of water each each and every worker who's going underground. But the issue of food is still the case. And this right. thing of food does not start at, at Sasale. It started in Matosana in, in Kopanang mine. So we see that this will be a trend to all the mines. Whenever they see insecurity, they will blame the mine workers. Mm. Masibulele, thank you very much. Masibulele Naki is the National Union of Mine Workers uh, National Health and Safety Secretary speaking to us there about this rolling program of mass action directed at Sabanya Stillwater and Harmony. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. If you are a foreign national and you are coming to South Africa to mine illegally, you must be arrested. We need the soldiers. We don't care who your guy is saying. The law must be followed. Mandy, if this government wasn't so useless, then we wouldn't be sitting with us, exactly what that uh, Mr. Von Weig said. Long time ago, the ANC government could have done much more. And again, we need to be proactive, not reactive, because reactivity 
lands us where we are. Totally dysfunctional country, and it's going to carry on while the ANC is in power. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Mandy. This is Mapula. I'm calling from Rotiport. You know, I do not agree with that uh, uh, gentleman, David. I mean, we cannot, Mandy, allow illegal people to come into our country and uh, do illegal activities. Then we fold our arms and we are saying, you know, they are from Lesotho and they've got a history and so on and so on. Surely there's another way that this, uh, these people can be employed, huh? And why are they illegal? And they have been harassing communities, Mendy, for a very, very long time. And enough is enough. They need to go back to their countries. I'm sorry. Bye. Thank you very much. Uh, so many WhatsApp voice notes coming in on this issue of illegal miners and what Tandi Mudisi and Becky Kele have been saying about this strong, strong message from government. But what happens? I'm always reluctant to say that government is totally dysfunctional. I understand the frustrations with government and in many ways it can be dysfunctional, but it's not entirely dysfunctional. So I'm always reluctant to to say um, wholesale. Uh, maybe it's an optimistic view and uh, if, if you disagree with me, I'm not surprised at all. But I really do believe that, that we are far too reactionary in South Africa. We wait for load shedding to be a huge problem 15 years down the line and then try and remedy the problem instead of acting before it becomes an issue. Same thing with illegal mining. On this point of, of what David van Beek said, um, I understand when he says the, the mining industry in South Africa was built on the back of migrant laborers. laborers. Um, when, when foreigners are in the country illegally, then yes, they need to be deported. But if they are in the country legally, then we need to think of creative uh, ways in order to create more employment. Because what happens to people when they're here and they are properly employed and legally employed what happens to them so we 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 need to deal with this issue of illegal foreigners in the country yes they need to return back to their countries if they are here legally that's a different story but i understand the outrage and the frustration that so many of you have 702 702. mandy wiener weekdays 12 to 1 p.m in Bilabila in Limpopo today, the third suspect arrested in connection with the burglary at President Cyril Ramaphosa's Pala Pala farm appearing today in the magistrate's court there. Remember, the farm's former domestic worker, Floriana Joseph, and co-accused, Emanuela David, uh, they appeared in court earlier this week. They allegedly stole more than $500,000 from the farm in February 2020. So today, the brother of Froliana Joseph appeared in court today. Uh, there was also um, information that emerged saying that the state won't be opposing bail for Joseph as she is mother to a newborn baby that requires breast milk. So uh, that's what the NPA is saying. Have a listen to the NPA Limpopo spokesperson, Mashuru Malabi Zangi, speaking. The, the, the third male suspect is going to appear and join the other two accused who for a day appear here in the Villa Villa Magistrate Court. The male suspect is the brother to Florina. Can you just talk us through the circumstances surrounding uh, his, uh, I suppose, handing himself over to police? What exactly happened there? Yeah, he was informed that he's one of the suspects. Then he decided to hand himself to the police yesterday. 
And um, what are we expecting to happen today in the courts? We, we are supposed to proceed with the bail hearing. We'll find out whether all of them, they're having their legal representative. And um, where, where, where does the state stand in terms of um, opposing bail? Yes, uh, some of the accused are not going to, uh, we, are, we, are, we are going to oppose the bail, but for the mother of the child, we won't oppose the bail for her. Is this because obviously she has a, a, a newborn child? Yes, of course. And then in terms of investigations, uh, where you are, are more arrests uh, likely? The investigation is still continuing. We'll be led by the investigation. Then if we can get something, then we'll proceed to have other accused person. Obviously, this is a very high-profile case. Obviously. Um, is the NBA confident in getting uh, a conviction here? So far, we've got the evidence to lead the suspects that we're having. That's the NPA spokesperson telling us what happened in court today. The third suspect arrested in connection with the burglary at Palapala appearing in court today. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So we are always looking for things to to celebrate, not just on this show, but in South Africa. So good news yesterday for the country. Our candidate, Professor Diret Tladi, has been elected to the International Court of Justice. It's the first time that a South African has been chosen to serve in this capacity. We have nominated a South African in the past. Uh, There were several ballots that were conducted in both the UN General Assembly and the Security Council simultaneously. Uh, This is known as the World Court. It's based in The Hague. It consists of 15 judges elected for nine terms. And what it does is settle disputes between states in accordance with international law. It gives advisory opinions on questions of international law. So a great achievement, also significant for South Africa's role in the international community. And what a pleasure to uh, welcome to the Midday Report today, Professor Dire Tladi. Good afternoon and congratulations, Prof. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and thank you for having me on the show. So so how significant is this, the fact that this is the first time that a South African has been appointed to the International Court of, of Justice? And, and how do you feel that it's you? Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's obviously very significant for South Africa. Um, um, we've had at least one uh, great international lawyer who... Uh, arguably deserved uh, to be uh, to be elected. So in that sense, it's uh, it's sad because we should have had someone before. I think we should have had John Dugard. Um, but I'm 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 ecstatic um, that it's me. I'm 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 really overwhelmed uh, by the uh, the amount of support that I got, um, and especially because the person who actually nominated me to the government was John Dugard himself. Who himself was was obviously the the other South African who had been nominated. So that really is is significant. You have a vast experience in uh, the the sphere of international law. You obtained your PhD in international law. Uh, you were the principal state law advisor for international law. Um, how do you you believe that your experience as a South African will will contribute to the work that you'll be doing? Well, I mean, I think it's. Um, uh, I think the most important thing is it's important for the court to to have diversity, um, and I think it's good that we have a you know we have a judge from the south. I think it's good that we have a judge from South Africa. I think it's good that we have a judge from Southern Africa. Um, we've only had one judge um, in the past from Southern Africa, and I think that that's really sad. There is a, I think, a need for different perspectives. Um, I, I, I really think what's the most significant thing is um, my professional background. Because what it means is it's not just that I happen to be on the court. It also means I can really make a meaningful contribution um, in terms of influencing the direction of the court 
um, which, I mean, look, it's possible to be elected even without um, the requisite experience and expertise. But then the, the problem with that is that you can't influence the courts. I think that's the yeah, I, I, I think that's a significant thing. When you look at the influencer of, of the court, there, there, there are no hierarchy of, of, of courts. But in reality, the ICJ is seen as the most important court for, yeah. for international law. So, so how do you hope to, to influence the, the court? And what kind of work are you looking forward to, to doing? Yeah, I mean, look, the court is at the moment, the court has got some really important cases uh, on its docket. Um, you will know that um, the um, the Russia-Ukraine conflict is between the the uh, is before the court is ongoing. You will know that actually the very first hearing that I will sit on will involve uh, the situation in Palestine. Um, that's uh, I think on the 17th or the 18th of February. Um, you will know that um, the um, um, there's been a request for an advisory opinion also. Um, relating to the obligations of states in relation to climate change. So these are all really big cases um, that have um, the potential to impact um, um, the world in a significant way. And I think, um, um, you know, it, it, at least for me, it's, um, um, it's a proud moment to be part of that and to try to influence the court in a particular direction. And that direction, by the way, for me um, is, is, you know, I mean, I've always been, been uh, an adherent to a solidarity-based approach to international law, and I hope that that'll, that that'll um, begin to ring true in the court. Uh, Prof, you, you speak about climate change as an existential threat to the survival of humanity. Uh, you have a great opportunity here to be creating new law um, as, as well in terms of, of how states respond to the climate yeah. uh, cat- catastrophe. Uh, how do you, how do you uh, approach this, and, and, and what prospect is there for you? Well, I mean, I think um, so. Obviously, I, I, I'm not allowed to uh, to, uh, to to express particular views that I will take. But I think um, you know, as I said to, um, to you, um, the objective is not to create new law, but the objective is to sort of try to see what we can do with the law that exists, and to try to be creative and sort of pushing the envelope. Um, because uh, you know, as you say, this is an existential threat, and um, and so it's important um, to try to find ways to. Um, uh, to arrest, if you like, um, what is clearly becoming a deteriorating situation as far as um, um, the impact of climate change, um, you know, in the world. So to try to use the rules that are that are currently in existence to um, to uh, to try to push the envelope a little bit. Uh, I did read a, a comment from you, a quote in Business Day, in, in, in which you said, "I don't think this courtroom stuff was for me," and you chose to go into into academia. Uh, so, so how do you uh, look forward to to your work on the International Court of, of of Justice? Is it a a marriage of both of those for you? Not, not really, because I mean, if you look at the bench of the International Court of Justice, a lot of the judges actually come from an academic background. Um, in that particular court. Uh, I guess what I was talking about was I was talking about, you know, the um, the day-to-day grind of an attorney, uh, you know, um, going to court and preparing arguments for your clients. That's not something yeah, I think was clear to me already in my second year of law studies that that's not something I want to do. Um, but this is different. I think this is not, you know, the day-to-day grind of an attorney and advocate. Um, um, so in that sense, it's it's almost like a continuation of the path that I have chosen, if you like. Well, all the best to you. Congratulations again. And uh, it's, it's always fantastic to have a South African uh, so visible, uh, exceeding and succeeding on, on the international stage. And we do wish you uh, all, all the best and uh, go forward and fly this African flag proudly, Prof.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Professor Dire Tladi speaking to us there, who has been elected to the International Court of Justice, the first South African to serve in this capacity. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. On 702 and Cape Talk. Anthony, to show this, since you read the sports bulletin, you stepped out of the studio, you came back in, and we've picked up two more wickets. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing, to be quite honest with you. Um, I have a lot of question marks when it comes to us actually, you know, going out and (laughs) restricting our our opponents to a decent score. I think quite often we let loose, but really, it's been pretty spectacular. I think We just haven't chased well. We haven't chased well, so I'm worried. (laughs) It is. It's a little bit of a worry. Also, it seems like it's a very inconsistent wicket. Um, a lot of the deliveries, although they've been great, they haven't looked marvelous. They haven't been the type of delivery that you would suppose a wicket would come from. Um, whether that's batter error or just an inconsistent wicket, we'll find out, I think, in the second innings. But it really has been amazing. Lungangiri, um, the fact that he went off injured and was a little worrying because he thought ankle injury... He got hit in the ankle in the last game, right? Yeah, and then he, he just seemed to be... He wasn't moving well, but he also wasn't moving terribly. It just seemed like it was one of those moments where, mm. you know, a little tinge or discomfort and he went off and then he came back and he's been superb. He's picked up two wickets since then um, and it really has been great. Um, I do have a little bit of a worry and this is basically just my own worry is that it Strange seems... General anxiety yeah, no, <laughs> And probably it's, it, it goes back to my childhood trauma, but a lot of this World Cup has felt like... <laughs> so we all have childhood trauma yes. around the Proteas. I think we need uh, collective therapy. the 99 World Cup. And there's when a lot of... Run. There's a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot of... Um, you know, marks that have been hit in terms of your top four sides that are going through to the semifinals, potentially New Zealand, South Africa and the Proteas are there. Swap out Pakistan in 99 for India now. And then that's sort of how the semifinals mm. played out. How significant is this game for who we play in the semifinals? Or is it's, that... Regardless, we're playing Australia on Thursday, which is going to be tough. It is exactly 99 <laughs> all over again. Uh, so a little bit of a worry, but... I don't know. There's something special about this side. I agree with you. And I've, I've told everyone already that we're going to win this World Cup. When the so. World Cup started, I wasn't too sure. I thought that, uh, you know, we were building for the future rather than anything else. And, and they've come out. They've been superb. On the WhatsApp line, Sipo says, Mandy, Pirates need to win tomorrow against Chiefs in order for Ramaphosa to gazette that winner's day of the 15th of <laughs> December. <laughs> Sipo will be getting the 15th anyway. So I don't think yeah, I don't think it's a worry. He'll gazette it. Yeah, no, I think this Soweto derby, it, it feels understated compared to other ones. I think usually we see them fighting, you know, second, third, fourth in the table. And both of these sides have been very inconsistent in the league. You know, Pirates sitting, what, 10th. We have Kaiser Chiefs at, at 7th. And it's very much been a, a season where stop, start, stop, starts. There's been no consistency whatsoever. The great thing is, is that both of these sides have picked up wins just before this. Uh, I'm wondering if Kaiser Chiefs maybe go in with the upper hand, given the fact that they have changed management. And is Johnson actually going to do something completely different? Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we walk away and it's yet another 1-1 draw. Honestly, it feels like it's that sort of mm, game. It that's is understated, mm. exactly. Um, the other concern that I have when it comes to the Sweats or Derby is as much as people turn out for it, at what point do we start questioning whether it even had, holds any sort of status in the DSTV Premiership? Yeah. Regardless of the, the sizes of the clubs, they're just not performing on the field. Um, and you can go and you can say that Pirates have been spectacular when it comes to Cups, 
but that consistency, that long run of getting win after win after win, they've very, very much struggled, whereas Chiefs have just struggled across the board. Uh, European football this weekend? Yeah, no, it's going to be a pretty exciting time. Um, a little worried with Liverpool, considering the fact that last night they mm. looked, wow. That was that was not a great look, um, but Manchester United do you think playing. That, that that goal was. Do you think was it a handball? The third goal. I think it was. Yeah. But I also am a little, you know, I like a little sensitive when it comes to Liverpool. Uh, but Manchester United um, playing Luton, I think, is going to be the very exciting one. You know, Man United have a terrible run of form. Three losses in the last four matches. Uh, you know, basically sitting bottom of the Champions League group. Maybe not even making it out of the group. Not even into Europa. And then you come up against Luton Town, who... I think we've all dismissed and yet they held Liverpool to a mm. one-all draw at the weekend. And on their day, they can actually play very good football. So I'd be worried if I was Manchester United. Anthony Tashada, thank you so much. Um, you. A quick update on the crickets. Uh, the school so they've got 124 for six in the 29th over. Thank you very much. Anthony Tashada having a look at the weekend of sport. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. Brent Lindeke, the good things guy, is not joining us today. He is busy doing the things out there, spreading the good news. But he has sent us a WhatsApp voice note. Have a listen to what Brent had to say. Hey, what's happening, 702 and Cape Talk family? I'm back for another Feel Good Friday and more good things stories for you. First up, the Western Cape Bee Industry Association is celebrating local beekeepers who flew the South African flag at the 2023 UK National Honey Show. And South Africans back home are having a little laugh at how we may have even beat New Zealand in this one too. The Western Cape Bee Industry Association shared the happy news to their Facebook page, highlighting all the achievements of the beekeepers who took part. The association formally congratulated its members who did the country proud in the international categories of the competition. It was the first time South African beekeepers participated in the prestigious honey show, now in its 100th year. And yes, South Africans quickly created a meme that went viral, celebrating the win while asking if New Zealand may have taken part in this competition too, playing on the fact that we beat them in the rugby. Next up, during a club competition rugby match in Darling, a hero referee emerged and swooped into action to help an injured player right in the next of time. As the match between Robertson, RFC and Darling RC saw players battle it out, one player, Lindsay Eckstein, endured a blow to the head. Borland referee Beerkus kept a close eye on Lindsay and when the player was about to drop, Beerkus sprinted into action just in time to catch him, protecting him from injuring himself further. Beerkus held onto the player and stopped the match immediately. The moment was said to have happened in the blink of an eye, so much so that other club administrators didn't even know what was happening at the time. But Birka's training and intuition as both a referee and law enforcement official made him the man of the match and soon Lindsay was stabilized by paramedics before being taken to a hospital. Speaking about hospitals, Candace Settenstein shared a story this week about being taken care of in a government hospital and receiving the most incredible amount of care. Candace expressed profound gratitude for the care she received at the Charlotte Makleke Hospital during her challenging battle with cancer. Facing the urgency of her situation and a waiting list extending into 2024, Candace was swiftly attended to by a dedicated surgical team who expedited her life-saving surgery, preventing the aggressive cancer from spreading further. 
Throughout her hospital stay, she commends the entire staff of Ward 196, including all the doctors and nurses, for their exceptional care and support. Candace credits their prompt action with likely saving her life, expressing deep gratitude for the remarkable team at the hospital. This story is so important as it shines a positive light on a government hospital. That's it. You can catch these stories and many, many more on goodthingsguide.com. Until next week, as I always say, wishing you... Only good things. Only good things. Brent Lindeku, the good things guy, bringing us some good news. And I really think that uh, the the appointment, uh, the election, I should say, of Professor Dire Tladi to the International Court of Justice is a fantastic thing to celebrate for South Africa. And I thought he was so interesting. What a fantastic interview, having a listen to, to him and, and what he hopes to achieve and what it means to be appointed to the International Court of Justice, the first South African to serve in this capacity. So lots of, of good news for South Africa. Africa.